0: Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, uh, written by the Apostle Paul. I'm going to be reading just a few verses this morning uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 8. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your presence here this morning. We pray that you'd speak to us through your words, Lord because uh, we need to to hear your voice this morning. But Father, may it not just be words that we hear or nice thoughts, but may you uh, even change our hearts in the process, because you are one who is in the business of changing hearts. So we offer them up to you, Lord, and pray that you would work on them. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, if you've been with us uh, for the past couple weeks, uh, you'll know that We are in a a really short study that we've called uh, Radical Generosity. And we've observed uh, throughout this short study that we live in a culture of acquisition and extraction and accumulation and consumption. These are the words we've used to describe. Acquire as much money and as many possessions as you can. Extract what you can from others for your benefit. The good life is defined through accumulation of success and fame and wealth and prestige, and once you have acquired all of these things, then consume them for your own pleasure and for your own benefit. We've we've seen how in the process all sorts of social uh, inequities inevitably come. The world becomes divided between the haves and the have-nots, those That have power and those who are vulnerable. And what we've seen is that this has been really the cultural drift for centuries. It was true uh, in the Bible times throughout biblical history, and it is certainly true in our time as well. And that's why uh, throughout the Bible you see that God's people are called to be unique. God's people are called to be different, and what we've done throughout this series has been intentional. We started it out through uh, a look at a passage in the Old Testament prophets, and then we, we went to a passage in the Gospels, and now we're looking at a New Testament epistles ep- epistle, and the point of this is to help us to see that this message, that we are to be different, is the message of the Scriptures. It is all throughout the the entirety of God's scriptures. His people are supposed to be different. They are to be defined by neighborliness, by intentionally putting the needs of others before one's own. And this neighborliness ought to to translate into a radical sense of generosity. That's what we've been tackling. Last time we looked at money and we saw that one of the most worshipful things that we can do is to examine our checkbooks, to intentionally even live below our means so that we can give more of our money and our possessions away. But this morning what, what I'd like to do is look at a commodity that may be just as precious as money, maybe even more precious than money, and that is the commodity of time that we are all given. I don't know if you've noticed this, but probably the most common American phrase that you hear nowadays is this, I'm busy. We've probably all said it at some point today or within the past few days. Often we say it uh, whenever anybody asks us how we're doing. Well, I'm doing good, but I'm really busy, right? Uh, One author said that one of the most American of all diseases is busyness, And what that means is the time has become very precious to all of us. And what's so interesting about it is that it is a fixed commodity. I can go out and I can work harder and I can earn more money, but there's no way for me to earn more time. In many ways, it is always diminishing. We always have less time stored in the bank today than we had yesterday, and one day we all realize that it is going to run out. So, what we do with our time really matters, and if we are to be different, if we are to be defined by neighborliness, how we think about our time should be just as different than the rest of the world. The question is, how are we being generous with our time, rather than just consuming it for our own benefit. The Bible doesn't say much about schedules, it doesn't say much about iCal and Google calendars, it doesn't talk much about the the work-life balance and overtime and all the things that we tend to think about, but it does offer us a glimpse into how we ought to think about our time in a different way and how we ought to spend our time in a different way. And there's, there's just three priorities I think we can pull out of the scriptures that help us think about what we ought to prioritize with our time. And the first is time in worship. The Bible is pretty clear that what we're doing here this morning, that this thing is very important and it ought to be one of our highest Priorities. You see, from the, from the very beginning of creation, God set a pattern for humanity, and it was a, a work and a rest pattern. He gave us this day called the Sabbath day, which is what the Scriptures call it, and it is intended to be a day of not work or a day of rest from work. But what the Bible also talks about it is that it ought to be a day that is committed to worship think about what our culture talks about when it comes to kind of rest and work balance and all that sort of stuff. Whenever we feel pretty busy or whenever we feel pretty burdened or stressed about life, what is is the advice that we often hear in our world and from our friends? Well, they'll, they'll come to us and they'll say, well, you just need some me time. Some time just for you. You need to get away and rediscover yourself for a little bit. You need to to make time for you and go and recharge your batteries. So whenever we think about the idea of rest, we often think about it in those terms. And we mistake it with what the scriptural notion of Sabbath is really all about. Because what the Sabbath is, is very far from me time. In fact, it isn't me-focused at all. It's, It's intended to be time that is set aside for the worship of God. It's interesting that the Sabbath was placed at the beginning of the week because it was intended to be a matter of priority. So what we do on Sundays, gathering for corporate worship, ought to be one of the highest priorities of God's people. And in many ways, it is the opposite of me time. In fact, it's a break from me time. It's an opportunity for us to not think about ourselves for a period of time and instead to refocus our hearts on the greatness of God and the majesty of the gospel. I don't know about you, but I like getting a break from thinking about myself. But what it's also used is is to be an example to the world of our priorities. In a world of, of acquisition and accumulation and extraction and consumption, God's people are to set aside their time in the priority of corporate worship. So we see that time in worship is important. But another biblical priority that we see out of the Scriptures is the importance of time engaged in community. If you read the book of Acts, you learn about the early church, what Jesus' followers did uh, right after he resurrected or ascended back into heaven. And you learn about how they slowly changed the world. And the early church changed the world because they prioritized worship and community. They gathered in each other's homes. They broke bread together. They engaged in meaningful conversation with one another. They prayed for one another. They lifted one another up with their lives. You see, somewhere along the line, we have bought into this idea of of what many have called lone ranger spirituality. Whenever we think about our own personal spirituality and our own spiritual growth, We think that it is often nurtured through personal prayer and personal Bible study and personal meditation, and of course it is all those things, but the Bible talks about something much more fuller, in some ways the opposite of all that, because it presents spirituality as something that is radically communal, that we grow as we worship together and as we sharpen one another in the context of God's community. Christian Smith calls, uh, and others, have called this relational generosity. It's carving out intentional time to be in relationship with other people, to be in deep and meaningful conversation and relationship where we drop all the masks and and the pretending that we so often get caught up in. It's relationships in which we are known well by others and we know others well. But make no mistake, this sort of, of relational generosity is costly. It is difficult. Often it is incredibly messy because after all, we are really messy people once you get to know us. I can remember years and years and years ago, uh, I once, uh, I was thinking about relational generosity this week. And years and years ago, I, I remember interacting with someone And uh, I've worked at churches for almost 20 years now. And I can remember one one Sunday I went up to uh, someone in our church and I said, I was wondering if you'd be willing to to help us out with something. Would you be able to volunteer for this uh, small hour-long commitment on Sunday mornings to, to help us out with something? And they said, you know, I'd really, really like to. But you know what? I'm just too busy. I can't really do it. And, and we hear that a lot in the church, of course. So we, we said, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to somebody else about the opportunity to do this. And, and then I said, well, tell me, how, how has your weekend been? And they said, our weekend was great. We spent 10 hours binge-watching our favorite television show. And we, I just kind of shook my head a little bit. It reminded me of a commercial that's out. I think it's for for uh, Hotels.com right now, and it shows a a couple sitting on a couch uh, just finishing watching a a television program, and it's a husband and wife. They look at one another, and they say, they say, wow, that was great. We just binged watched 10 seasons of our favorite television show, and then the young woman grabs her phone, and she starts scrolling through all her messages, and and she sees, oh, we missed Grandma's 85th birthday party or something like that. And then, she, and then she keeps scrolling through the messages and discovers, oh, well, Grandma passed away while we were sitting here and watching uh, this television show. And what it did is it was, a, it was a, in some ways a comedic commentary on the way our culture has become really disordered when it comes to time. We've become so committed to to consuming time for ourselves that often we miss out on the beauty of relationships that God has for us. We've forgotten how to be relationally generous in communal ways. One of the number one complaints that people hear uh, about churches is that Uh, I I attend church, I go to it, but I don't feel like I am connected at all. And all of us pastors hear this all the time. And I can remember one pastor told me a story. He said that uh, a person approached him on a Sunday at church, it was a visitor, and said you know, I'm, I'm looking for churches, I wanted to check yours out, and he said, I'm ready to leave my own church, and we said, well, well what, what made you want to leave your own church? Well, I, I don't feel very connected at this church, so I'm looking for another church I can feel connected with. He said, well, what was the name of the church you left? And he's like, it was called The Belonging, and we all laughed at the irony of, of the very thing that he said. You see, we all want to be in community. We often want to be in relationship with one another, but we're often not willing to spend the time and the energy to be relationally generous. But this is precisely the very thing that God calls us to do, to be neighborly with our time, to intentionally spend more time on others than we spend on ourselves. There's one last piece to this that I want to look at, and, there's, and, and it's connected to this idea of relationship generosity. And that is that we are called to prioritize time in worship, time in community, but finally time in service. Our passage that we read this morning from 2 uh, Corinthians is from the 2nd book of Corinthians. And many people believe there was, there was actually four letters or four uh, books to the church in Corinth. It was a church that, that Paul had planted in his travels... Uh, he left that church and then planted several other churches and begin, he began to hear about things about the church in Corinth. So he wrote back to them to try to, to correct them. And if there was any church that was messed up in the New Testament, it was the church at Corinth. It was so much that they needed four letters from Paul to help all the ways that they had kind of screwed up. There were all sorts of divisions and loyalties and allegiances within the church. Uh, they were terrible at sharing things with one another, except for their wives. There was all sorts of, of sexual immorality present in the church, and it led to all these divisions. There were those that were the haves, those that had all the money and the prestige and the power, and they were neglecting the have-nots that were in their midst. There was all sorts of, of social inequities within the church. It was it was an absolute mess. So in the middle of all this mess and disorder, isn't it interesting that Paul's advice to the church in 2 Corinthians is to give, to give of themselves, to give themselves away to one another. Verse 7 says, each one must give as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, this verse 8 here seems to even call us to give beyond our means, to give in a way that makes us wonder how we're going to do it all, to give opportunity for God to provide for us through his grace. Have you ever wondered whether or not you just have the emotional energy to be present for other people? Maybe it's the emotional energy to be present in worship or to be present in a small group or present for your neighbors, present to even serve people that God puts on your path, to serve the the homeless person that you see each day. You know, what a lot of social research has said is that, that the greatest need that homeless people feel is not necessarily uh, economic things. It's more the emotional poverty that each one of them suffers, the incredible loneliness they feel as someone stuck in homelessness. Sure, it would be easy for you and I to give food or to give a quarter or a dollar or whatever it might be, but it is a whole other thing for us to engage them relationally. You might be sitting there thinking like I do. I'm not sure that I have the emotional energy to do that, to invest myself in such ways. But what Paul is saying here is do it anyway. You might feel insufficient, but it will be an occasion for God's grace to show up and for his strength to be your sufficiency. Friends, perhaps one of the most worshipful things that we can do is to examine our schedules, to evaluate how we spend our time by the standard of neighborliness, to evaluate it by the standard of God's priorities. Eugene Peterson uh, said that, he argues that our busyness is actually a result of laziness. The first time I read that, I thought, how, how could that be? I, those seem to be opposites to me. But what he argues is that we are often too lazy to actually prioritize our time within the values of God's kingdom. See, the Bible doesn't say much about our time But it does say about how we ought to prioritize our time. And what it does say is one last thing, one core concept about time. And it is related to the biblical idea of wisdom. The scriptures tell us that wisdom is considering how we spend our time because our time is short. Psalm 90, so teach us, Father, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. James 4 describes our lives as a vapor, a morning mist that is here now and gone in an instant. Psalm 39, O oh Lord, make me to know my end and know what, the measure, uh, what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Psalm 102, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. This week, I I read a story uh, about a young woman who recently passed away. Her name was Amy Frohmeyer. And she died of a genetic problem that's called Franconia anemia. And what the article talks about is it's this incredibly rare disease that not many people have. And it it comes from the genetics of a mother and a father and the mixture of that. And then the children that they produce are often born uh, with this disease. And what the story went on to say was that, that by five years old, uh, Amy had watched two of her sisters die before her of this disease. Her one sister died when she was 12, the other died when she was 24. And Amy was told when she was five years old that she had this disease too. Can you imagine being five years old and having to process your own mortality, being told that you will probably pass away shortly just like your sisters have done. Imagine hearing that news. But 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 rather than letting that news destroy her, the story tells us that she chose to make the most of the time that she was given her. Talks about her as being a person full of passion and joy uh, and energy and, in, and adventure, and she was so joyful that it was infectious to everyone that was around her. She deeply cared for others rather than just being sorry for herself. She spent her life on behalf of other people. And this article went on to say in 2016, she married a sweetheart while in a hospital bed receiving treatment. And later that year, on October 2nd, at the age of 29, she passed away. The article summed up her life, uh, her joyful life, with these words. It said, Amy decided to live inside of her moments. Friends, all of it is a gift. The money you have, the possessions you have, the time you have, all of it is a gift that is given to you by God. You are a steward given a gift by God and called to be radically generous with those gifts. In many ways, just a verse earlier than our passage is the key, book, the key verse to the entire book and really the key idea to this whole idea of generosity. It says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. See what this verse reminds us is that we were the spiritually poor due to our sin. We were bankrupt of anything that could ever merit God's favor. And so Christ did something about it. He set aside the wealth, the privilege, the bliss of heaven to become poor. He lived in poverty. He experienced spiritual poverty as he bore our sins on the cross. He did all of it for you and for me, so that you and I could one day experience the wealth and the bliss of heaven. This gift of grace is made open to you, it's made open to me, it's made open to all of us, but know that if you have received that gift of grace, then with it comes the call to spend yourself on behalf of others. Christ was radically generous to you in the history and the story of the gospel. The cost was great. It was his own life. And so, in response, know that God calls you to reflect the radical generosity of the gospel to a world that so desperately needs to see it. Let's pray.